1: how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner.
0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Join more of the things you love with TCL.
1: Hockey. Oh, My favorite. It's Judd's Hockey Show. And it is Judd's Hockey Show. Wild season uh, now done after months and months and months of obviously... Waiting for play to resume. It's Zolgad, Declan Goff co-hosting, producing as always, and we are joined at the top by our friend from the Rink Live and Forum News, Jess Myers. Jess, what is going on on this uh, glorious August hockey day?
0: It's uh, we got we got early morning hockey. We got a ten a.m. game. I mean, today that's that's fantastic. And uh, can't remember who it was on Twitter, but said you know they said. When you have a 10 a.m. game, you have to have starting lineups where each guy skates up to the camera and says hi to their mom. I mean, that's, that's what we expect <laughs> that's so true. in Minnesota here because, you know, we we have the early games at the state tournament. But uh, if you're going to play that early, Witchfield, Dassel, Cokato, and Hermantown have to be involved somehow, I think.
1: And you need a flow as well, right? Absolutely. Hockey flow.
2: flow.
0: Although, although here's my beef with the all-hockey hair team. Yeah. I liked it better when it was organic. When, when kids, you know, just had hair that looked like that. Since it became a YouTube sensation, you truly see kids who spend all year cultivating their hair just in the hopes that their team makes the tournament and they can get on the all-hockey hair team. I liked it better when kids didn't try so hard.
1: When did it start? Because because in our day, you had mullets, but it wasn't really talked about and it wasn't celebrated. So wh- when did we transition from hockey hair was just a funny thing to to we're going to actually acknowledge different hairstyles in hockey?
0: Uh, you know, the the YouTube part of it, I want to say, started about 10 years ago. When again, it was just an organic thing, it was like, "Hey, look at these hockey players from Minnesota, and this is truly how they 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 do things with their hair and then it became uh, so overboard because it made e s p n and it made national news, and it was a YouTube sensation, you know, and then you saw the kids going with the facial hair and the Fu man shoes and the big you know bushy Lanny McDonald mustaches and stuff like that, and I mean it's just it's just got to be too much, in my opinion. Uh, so, hey, tone it down, kids. If, if you really do wear your hair that way, go nuts. But, you know, don't don't go overboard just for something like this. Or maybe, maybe go the opposite way. Maybe for the state tournament, everybody should just shave their head.
2: Uh, Jess, was it was it Jeff Peschel of, of, uh, of Matamida a few years ago who just said, we're not doing the blonde hair. We, we came here to play hockey, not to dye our hair. I love that. <laughs> I thought that was so great. Although you have seen some
0: great ones, you know, at the high school and the college level, I think of, UMD winning a national championship in 2011 and everybody was dyed like stark blonde, you know, but like platinum blonde, you know, you see all these pictures of them crowded around the trophy. Although ironically, Kyle Schmidt was the one guy on the team who didn't do it because he was getting married that summer. And his fiance said, no way. You're not going to look like that in our wedding pictures. (laughs) And he scores, he scores the overtime winner to win the national championship. So, Hey, maybe there's something to uh, just, just being who you are.
1: Pressure was on him. That's the key thing. A lot of pressure. Yeah. Hey, so so I I sat down and watched the vast majority of the first game of the first round of the playoffs on Tuesday, which was a five-overtime affair, Jess, between the uh, the Bolts and the Jackets, okay? Yep. And that game is playing out. And, you know, keep in mind, this is a playoff game. This is sort of what, in a lot of ways, makes playoff hockey so special and mike milberry on the telecast starts talking about they get, they need to go to a shootout or a 3 on 3 here you got to get this thing done um i am ordinarily a pace of play guy like in baseball pace of play and and look i would never sanction a hockey game that went to multiple ot's during the course of the regular season but are you with me in saying one thing that makes this playoff sport absolutely glorious is is the occasional 5 ot it might Never end game?
0: Absolutely. I mean, play on. And and I I don't mind the shootout. I don't mind three on three. I think there, there are good ways to settle games, especially, you know, coming at it selfishly. I'm a writer on deadline. I don't want to see <laughs> games go all night. I want to see them, you know, get done. I'm one of the guys who still has to has to deal with a newspaper deadline out there. So you know, even in the Big Ten, where you did five minutes of five on five, and then you did five minutes of three on three, and then you did a shootout, you know, that would add an extra half hour, 45 minutes to games sometimes, and it was just unbearable. But at least you had some kind of final conclusion. In the playoffs, I love the way it's, it is right now, the way it always has been. You know, I was thinking about Bob Mason, who was let go by the Wild this week as their goalie coach. He was one of the goalies in that game back in 87 on uh, the eve of Easter Sunday yes. when the Islanders and Capitals went. I think it was four overtimes at the time. Yep. And uh, we heard Kelly Rudy's name yesterday during this uh, extended overtime because he was the goalie for the Islanders who had, I think at the time, the NHL record for saves in the game, which was like 73 or something like that. And then it was blown out of the water by Columbus in this one. But, yeah, it's fantastic. And I, I go back to uh, Walt Kyle, who was the coach at Northern Michigan for many years. The CCHA, which is the league he was in at the time, they did a bold thing about 10, 12 years ago. They adopted the shootout. They were the first league to do it. And Walt Kyle had a great line. He said, hey, I'm all for breaking ties, but let's do it by playing hockey.
1: Yes. Oh, I agree completely. The yeah, shootout, as far as I'm concerned, they could put that thing out to pasture tomorrow. The three-on-three in the regular season I actually love. I think it's oh, fun. Absolutely. It moves great. Uh, but, but it resembles the game itself. The shootout is in no way, shape, or form about the game. So, so if you did, if you did away with the shootout and found a way to have the three on three decide games, I'd be fine there. But to hear a guy, you know, and I get it, Millbury's old and crusty. I, I totally get that. But to hear him, you know, say, well, we got to end these things. No, one of the things that makes that sport so special is we get to the playoffs, and ordinarily it's in the spring. This time it's in uh, August. But we get to the playoffs, and we get a game like that, and you literally think to yourself, this thing might not end, and in that case, it's the fun of the sport.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say this too for the for the people who don't like shootouts, and I get it. You know, it's it's a it's a different You're game. To one. Yep. You know, I I hear basketball people say, "Oh, hockey's an abomination because you have this skill contest where it's just one guy shooting on the goalie to determine who wins a game." Um, basketball folks, have you heard of free throws? <laughs> is, is, that, is that term come you up know, at
1: all? Do you know what I hate? I one of the reasons, Jess, why I hate the shootout so much. I hate how it's become basically a moves contest. The dipsy right. doodle BS. Yep. yep. You know, you know, when we were kids, and, and the occasional penalty shot came up, which, by the way, used to be incredibly I- exciting. Now it's not as much because of the shootout itself. But when we were kids and you got the occasional uh, guy got tripped on a breakaway and the official would point to center ice. One of the rules, as far as I recall, was you absolutely positively had to keep the puck moving towards the goal in your route to the goal. And now you got like Patrick Kane goes into like the sixth row and he dances from the sixth row back to the blue (laughs) line, back to the other 18th row. It's uh, enough. Just make your move and shoot the bleeping puck.
0: (laughs) I agree with you. And, hey, since you brought it up, we, I think we got to talk about Mike Milbury, don't we?
1: Sure. Go ahead.
0: You know, you know how sometimes guys are put in tough situations and they rise to the occasion? And I'm going to give a shout-out to, to somebody at another station, but Mike Max a couple months ago during all the unrest in Minneapolis yes. rose to the occasion, did a fantastic <laughs> Amen. job. We are seeing the opposite with Mike Milbury in this playoff season. I mean, he just really seems like he's off his game. And he's been a valuable contributor to hockey broadcasts for a long time. He was a coach. He was part of that whole Islanders fiasco in the nineties where they got sold to a guy with no money. He was their coach through all that. You talk about a guy who's seen it all done it all in hockey, but man, he just seems to have lost his fastball this year. He's been saying, you know, some controversial stuff. He's been saying some stuff that's way off base. And then to top it all off, he puts a tweet out last night of the CN tower in Toronto and he says the Space Needle is all lit up in honor of the game. It's like, dude, you're not in Seattle yet. The
1: crack and bust <laughs> them quickly. The Seattle crack and bust them real quick, and they should yeah. have for that.
0: Yep. And and you know the one thing he said that really got the ire up of people around these parts is you know he said uh, if you follow women's hockey at the college level, you used to play in games with no fans. It's like, hey, come on. You know you you can say that in some places. You can't say that in Minnesota. You no. can't say that in Wisconsin. You can't say that on a lot of places on the East Coast where women's college hockey is a really big deal, and the and the fans turn out for those games.
1: Why is he working? Why is he working games? Like the studio work, I guess I sort of get. But why why is he being put on? It, it seems like a pretty large amount of games from uh, the Toronto bubble. That's what I don't get. I mean, they've got people that know the sport, like Patrick Sharp. Stick him on games. He knows the Patrick game. Patrick Sharp has been
0: excellent. Andrew Carter has been uh, has been yeah. Andrew Carter. What you don't want to become is you don't want to become like a novelty act. And let's face it, Don Cherry before he finally got gas back in November had just become this kind of cartoon character of you know the the tough guy Canadian hockey guy. You don't want to see Milbury become that because you know he's better than that. He's he's got a better history than that. So hey, you know, step up your game or, or maybe step aside and let somebody else do some work in the studio.
1: So the the uh, Wild wins. Game one against the Canucks. Stay a lock. Jess Myers stops 28 shots. He looks fantastic. And I think we're all thinking after game one, my God, did they play a disciplined, good game. The, the Canucks, at least in that game in particular, look like the stage might have been slightly too big for them. Uh, I think we all came away from game one thinking the Wilds got a chance here. It's a quick, you know, two more wins. It's a uh, best three of five. And then they lose game two, game three. And have as many of a two goal lead, I believe, in game four, and fall on Friday, eleven seconds into OT. That's a long way of asking you. What were your takeaways from um, a a brief uh, endeavor back into the 2019-20 season for the Minnesota Wild?
0: You know, it's so weird to think how much we saw just in a, in a four game playoff series. Um, you know, and you're absolutely right. That first game, it was like, wow, who are these guys? There's some leadership. There's some guys taking control. You're, you're taking guys like Elias Patterson and you're taking guys like Brock Besser completely out of their game. And there was all that talk in February after they fired Bruce Boudreau. And I still don't necessarily agree with that move, but they had played really well under Dean Evison for his, you know, a dozen games or so that he had been the interim head coach. So there was this thought after game one that, wow, this, these guys are really turned it around. They're really listening. Then they fall way behind in game two. You know, Fiala gets a couple late goals to make it close. And, you know, the joke is, we'll just get the puck to Fiala. They have absolutely no sniff in game three. And then in game four, it was like, we're going to find a way to lose this game. We keep taking a lead, but we're just not going to hold that lead. It was like, uh, it just seemed like they were doomed in game four. So, yeah, I mean, we just saw such a wide range of emotion over those those four games. I was... Very interested to see that Staylock was the guy for all four games. Granted, he gets a shutout shut in game one, so you know how are you going to put him on the bench after that? But uh, we saw a lot of just the same problems that we've seen from this franchise, I, I want to say, over the last couple of years where there was just not that one guy or that one line that stepped up and said, okay, get on our back, we're going we're gonna to lead this thing.
2: Jess, how would you assess to how Stalock played? Obviously, he gets a good, he gets the shutout in game one. And yes, was the Wild's goaltending subpar this season? Would would be obviously pretty bullish to say that. But I think over the course of that series, when I looked why the Wild fell and weren't able to move on, I actually don't put a lot of blame on Stalock. I actually think he played exactly who he is, and and he gave the chance, he gave the team a chance to win throughout all four games.
0: Absolutely, uh, you know, I don't think you can pin this on goaltending. You know, I say that. As a longtime friend of Bob Mason, I think he's been a you know a great coach for this franchise. I was saddened, I'll, I'll say that, to, to see that he kind of took the fall for what was a down year goaltending wise. With that said, you know the people who say. Uh, Alex Daylock is a career backup and always will be, and it's time to move on. I'm not sure about that. When you look at his numbers down the stretch, I mean, he had a career year in a lot of ways. I I, I think he was, uh, you know, had something like a dozen wins uh, late in the season before all the pandemic hit. So, you know, I do think he is a good goalie. He's not a great goalie, but you know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get a guy who likes to play the puck. You're going to get a guy who takes risks. And that means the defense has to be on their game, and you especially saw that in the final game of this series. Yep. Without Ryan Suter in the lineup, I mean, you really did lose something for all the talk about Suter and whether he's lost his fastball and is on the tail end of his career and all that. He really does uh, lead that defense in a lot of ways still.
1: Exactly right. So they, they uh, go out on – Friday in OT Jess and Monday they do um they do a uh wrap up Zoom call. And I'm going to start calling them Blunt Billy Garen because Bill Garen, <laughs> God wow. bless him. I am going to play a sound bite here. It's Billy Garen talking about uh the goalies Dubnik, Stielock and it's, as you said uh Mason got fired. But here is Bill Garen on the goaltending situation.
3: I was disappointed in the goaltending this year. Al had a Al had a tremendous year and Devin had an off year and it it needs to be better. That's just that's just the way it is. And I don't if I told you anything different um you know I I'd be lying to you and and you know it it, it, it was not a strong strong point for us. If I if I have an opportunity to make it, make it better, I will. So Dubnik
1: is almost certainly gone. Do you agree with that?
0: I, I do agree with that, although mm-hmm. later in the call they asked about buying out players. They didn't specifically, I don't think, say Dubnik, but right. Dubnik is the one that you would need to buy out because he's still part of that you know, uh, six-year contract or whatever it is, and I think that pays him around $6 million a year. So you would have to buy him out. We saw Chuck Fletcher do that a couple years ago with Thomas Vanek. So they've done it in the past, but Garen came right out and said, I don't like buyouts. I don't like paying guys to play for other teams. So he said that's a last resort. With that said, I think they're going to hit that last resort. I think if they're going to uh, not have Dudmik on the roster, they're going to have to buy him out because I don't think there are a lot of teams out there that are going to look for him in a trade. Mm-hmm. Although I did hear some joking already that, you know, maybe you trade him straight up for Henrik Lundqvist because, you know, he seems to be on the way out in New York now. And, and you know, <laughs> No, who, who no knows, thank you know. at this point. You know, and, and, and at this point, Henrik Lundqvist is kind of like the Vikings bringing in all these aging quarterbacks, I yes. sort of think. You know, just just... <laughs> Some some guy that's a cool name on the tail end of his career, and you know, he'd get, get a couple fans excited and buy a couple jerseys, and that'll be about it.
1: Yeah, no, the, yeah, at, at this point in time, I probably now, if I was them going into when the 2020-21 uh, season does start, I'm probably going into it with Capo and Staylock, and I'm going to give Capo every chance here. I do think that that's the one thing, and, and I said this continually. Uh, going up to the qualifying round, and I wasn't surprised that the Wild didn't do it. But I would have given Kapo some type of shot there because I think the most important starting point is, is he your goaltender You know, for the next five years? And, and I, I get that guys don't you know play like they used to, and so there would have to be a second guy like a lock, yes. Uh, but I think there's a real chance here that if Kapo gets the shot, he's going to succeed, and, and that this whole thing of, well, You have to go sign one or trade for one. Yes, you ultimately might, but I'm not doing that until I I find out exactly what Koppel can do between the pipes starting with uh, this coming season
0: i'm really interested in this kid and i I do think we've got to see him up at the at the nhl level to get a real idea of what he can do i mean it just seems like there's so many conflicting reports you know i see the the fact that he was the ahl goalie of the year uh recently you know he was the top goalie in that minor league and i haven't been down to see the iowa wild when i go to iowa to to see my son at at iowa state i don't get uh, that extra bit further down to des moines sadly but you've got other people who say that they just don't see him as a number one NHL goalie. And in fact, I saw one mock draft who has the wild taking a goalie at number nine overall overall—a Russian kid. Who's apparently the top goalie prospect. That would really surprise me when you've got a, a goalie like that, who's succeeded at the AHL level. Now, Here's the lesson that worries me. Darcy Kemper, you know, looked like a great goalie. They kind of thrust him into that number one spot, and he just wasn't ready for it, and that was what caused them to go out and get Devin Dubnik in the first place. You look at Darcy Kemper now, he's a rock-solid goalie. He's got Arizona, you know, winning a first-round series. He's played very well with some good defense in front of him. So, you know, maybe you you can rush a kid like that, and that would be what concerns me, I guess, about the finish kid, is you don't want to shove him in there too quickly.
2: And Jess, I know Billy said he wants to address the goaltending problem, but my issue is there's there's obviously a good crop of goalies that are going to be free agents, and I and I'm pretty sure like you know like a guy like Markstrom's probably going to re-sign in Vancouver. I'd be shocked if they let Markstrom hit the open market and he goes somewhere else. But I I'm also looking at the Wild and. You're still lacking, obviously, a number one center. If if you're going to make a trade, you're going to have to get rid of someone on defense. I, I'm kind of of the belief if you're going to address the goaltending, make sure all the pieces of the puzzle are in place before then instead of you know reaching for someone, signing them to a long-term contract. I mean, look at Florida last year with uh, with Bob. I mean, he was awful, and they're locked into that contract for six or seven more years. So, it, it, I, yes, address the goaltending issue, but but I would hope to God you don't lock in someone for a long-term contract and put yourself more in salary cap hell. I'm pretty sure
0: the Flyers are still paying Ilya (laughs) Bryzgalov. In in that same vein, I just I I get very worried about locking in goalies to long-term contracts because it's such a goofy position. You know, a guy can look great on one shot and just not not look very good on the next shot, and you know you you take a big risk when you put a goalie in a long-term position like that. Uh, So I think you're absolutely right. I, you know, number one priority I think if you're if you're Bill Guerin is go find yourself a number one center and he talked about that you know he said teams don't don't trade their top centers in so fact they're, yes they're, yep here is
1: blunt bill on on that very topic
3: well i'll tell you what a number one center is is very tough to come by i, I... I, I don't see one to be honest with you in, in the pipeline. It's it's something we're you know hoping somebody can turn into, but it's um, you don't know. You know we've got some good players in the pipeline. A lot of them are wingers, and it's uh, something that we might have to you know get, get in the draft this year. We we don't know.
0: There you go. Yep. Yep. Straight up. And uh, you know it's funny
3: that he talks about his
0: pipeline, and there's just not that guy there. Uh, one of the more telling comments I heard as part of the playoff coverage. Uh, Mike Rupp on NHL Network said of the eight teams in the draft lottery, he said seven of them have what can be considered up-and-coming rosters. The one that does not is the Minnesota Wild. Mm So that's kind of the thousand-foot view of where this franchise is, that there's not... You know, even a team like Chicago, which, you know, surprised a lot of people and has not made the playoffs for the last couple of years, but is now, you know, doing at least a little better in the playoffs. You look at all the youth that they've got in their pipeline, and there's this idea that, yep, there's hope in Chicago that they can turn things around pretty quickly. I don't know how the cupboard got. Uh, to be considered that bear in Minnesota that quickly, especially when you have guys like, you know, the Finnish goalie, and you've got guys like uh, Sam Annis, who's, who's done so much good stuff down in Iowa. You've got the Russian kid coming in. It does seem like there is a bit of an influx of young talent, but... I did get the sense from Garen that he's maybe willing to blow it up a little bit and, and kind of restart and move beyond this this nucleus of Parisian suitor that you know was supposed to be the the thing that led this team to the next level and just hasn't.
1: So uh, Fiala or Kaprizov or both, ideally, need someone to get them the puck consistently because they're both going to be, I think, if this all works out as planned, uh, dynamic players. Right, Jess? Absolutely. So, so tell me this. Because this is going to hurt and you're going to have to do something that you don't want to do, but it's the only way to try and even get a player who could qualify as being um, positioned to take this job. What is your your plan in in the coming months before we start the 2021 campaign to get a number one center who might not be going to the Hall of Fame, uh, but who you look at and say, okay, you know what, clearly It's an upgrade, and if we put him with Fiala and Kaprasov or both, you're going to see a payoff. What is your plan to work that potential trade?
0: Here's what you've got if you're Bill Guerin. You've got a couple of things you can bargain with. Number one, you've got three defensemen, I think, that would be attractive in trades. You've got Matt Dumba, you've got Jared Spurgeon, and you know Bruce Boudreau said not too long ago, everybody in the league would like to have Jared Spurgeon on their team. And you've also got Jonas Brodine. Um, not as much offensive upside, but a good, solid, basic, you know, stay back there, do his thing kind of defenseman. You've got all three of those guys that I think would be attractive as trade bait. And as a result of the Jason Zucker trade, you've got an extra number one pick sitting out there. Could be this year, could be next year, but you've got Pittsburgh's number one, uh, sitting out there that you could potentially move as well. So you've got some bargaining chips. I think you're going to have to move one of those defensemen. Maybe package it with that first round pick that you got from Pittsburgh and get a true number one center.
2: Jess, Jess if you were if you had to you had to part with one of these young kids, I don't, I don't think Joel Erickson X going anywhere just because you have you have don't have any centers. But I, I thought Luke Cunnan played very well in the playoff series, and, and I and I see a lot of good things in his game. But Jordan Greenway, although his size is there and, and there, when you notice him, he's having a good game and when he's unnoticeable, he's a ghost and he can go on that Charlie Coyle funk where, man, if his size is there all the time, he can be a force, but he can disappear for odds and ends too. Do, do you think that if you were to sweeten the deal to get a number one center that you probably would have to part with one of those young guys to kind of put you over the top to get that trade completed?
0: If that's what it takes to get that guy, I think you would do that. And, you know, I look at a guy like Greenway. You wonder if... We've seen the best of him you know uh, I, I think back to Mikhail Grandland where where we kept waiting to see that next gear and it just turns out it wasn't there and they've seen the same thing in in Nashville since he's been there that that by the way is looking like a fantastic trade now to get Fiala for for uh, a grandlin who is underachieving and maybe always will be an underachieving guy so yeah I think you would part with one of those young guys I'm with you I like what cunning brings to this team maybe I'm a little biased because he's a, a local college kid you know I watched him play for the Badgers and and uh, saw what he did there. I-, I think you hang on to a Cunnin for now, and and maybe you know if Greenway is more attractive in a trade because of his size, you-, you move him right now.
1: Let's talk about Jess Myers, the best and worst of Paul Fenton, okay? Because because you're right, the Granlin trade. Now I don't care what any Granlund fan says. The Fiala Granlund trade is just a great trade. All right, we all thought well. The worst thing that Paul did was the Rask. Nino trade, right? Because Rask is going to be bought out. He he can't skate. I mean, how do you not know a guy can't skate? Uh, But that's not going to be his worst move. I think you would probably agree with me. His worst move is going to be giving Matt Zuccarello a five-year, $30 million contract (laughs) with three years of no move and five years of no trade coverage. Um and, and if if Garen goes to Zuccarello today and says, Matt, you are, it's just not working here, and Matt says, I will waive my no-move clause, no one's going to take that contract.
0: In, Absolutely not.
1: In short, Victor Rask is bad at his profession, and he's going to be bought out. Matt Zuccarello really can't be, and I think that that's going to go down as the, the worst move. And in all of that, I have a question for you that I can't for the life of me, and it's keeping me up at night now, figure out. How on earth, less than a month before Leopold was going to pull the plug on Fenton, how on earth did Fenton come to him with the Zuccarello contract, and Leopold didn't say, you know what, let's not do that? I can't tell you why, but let's not do that. How did the owner of this team allow that albatross uh, to be strung around this team's collective neck with an aging player by a GM who you had to have an inkling by early July of 2019 at the time that you were going to fire?
0: Yep. Um, Help me. In You know, I'm, I'm a student of World War II history. I always have been. You know, there's a famous saying in war that, you know, if a situation arises, you can do something good, you can do something bad, or you can do nothing. And the worst thing is to do nothing. I don't necessarily agree with that. <laughs> You're right. Because in <laughs> hockey, we've seen this before. I mean, I'm blanking on the guy's name now, but Eastern European player that was with the Blackhawks for years and came to the wild and was just an injured mess and did nothing mm-hmm. here and was real Marty talking. Havlett. Martin Havlett. Yeah, Perfect example of yes. you would be much better off doing nothing than making a move for the sake of making a move and going and getting a name that fans recognize, you know, and Zuccarello was a name that guys recognize because he played for the Rangers on some good Rangers teams. And when you play for the Rangers, you're in the spotlight and people hear your name a lot, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I've got to wonder if you, now you say how does Leopold approve that trade if Fenton comes to him? I have to wonder that soon before he gets gassed as the GM after a very short term. I wonder if maybe he didn't go to Leopold. If Maybe he made that move on his own, Ooh. you know, and we've seen that, uh, you know. Uh, I can think of a, a wide receiver that got cut by the Vikings without ownership approval that, you know, a lot of heads rolled as a result. No idea what um, you're talking about. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we're seeing a, a similar kind of thing where mm-hmm. a GM went off on his own or, you know, maybe the GM comes to the owner and says, I've got this guy and talks him into it. And then once the move is made, the, the owner realizes what this actually means and what this actually is beyond all the smoke that you're getting from the guys who want this to happen. Yeah, and says, "Wait a minute, you know who's running the ship here, and, and what have I done?" You also read the stuff about Paul Fenton about the way you know he was behind the scenes, you know, the paranoia and the you know constant threatening of people when, when stories got out there. And then the story that always gets me about Paul Fenton is him attending the Patriots Super Bowl parade and sending you know, team, team folks videos of him at the Patriots Super Bowl parade while the Wild are playing a road series. Yes. It's like, dude, what is your job, and when are you going to start doing it? That, that one really kind of stunned me.
1: He was a really bizarre guy, but that's the move. That's the move I don't get I, because Matt's is, look, I might be totally wrong here, but in watching him, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of there there left. And and that contract – and the worst part is, too, uh, in large part or predominantly because of the pandemic, Jess, the salary cap is going to be flat for at least a year, and my guess Absolutely. is two or three years. Absolutely. And so now – I mean, the Parisi contract hurts. The Suter contract hurts. At the time, I thought they were great. Uh, but what you really don't need is this veteran player who looks like he is on the fast track going downward – Signed to again a contract that's not just five years but three years of complete control for him. So I am no, amazed no. by
0: that one. In, in a little bit of his defense, yeah, we heard the same things about Stahl when he came here. We heard, you know, they they signed this aging guy whose best True. years are behind him, and and Stahl has been fantastic.
1: But he was, but he was pretty good right right away. The problem with Mats is now it's like, what happened? Right. He aged. He he. It's weird. So he got traded by the Rangers to Dallas, went to Dallas, immediately broke his arm. But then I believe he played in the full playoffs for the Stars that year. And I think he had something like four goals and 11 points. So he actually played pretty well. And he got here and it was just, you know, pretty quickly like the fast track to being washed up. So it's just a, it's, I don't have faith here that there's a lot that can be done. And so again, because of the contract, And the salary cap, you're just sort of stuck there stewing. Uh, Do you get the impression from what Garen said on that Zoom call and basically just more what he didn't say? I will be shocked if Koivu's back. I I think he was being respectful. I think he was saying all the right things. But when he basically, being as blunt as Billy ordinarily is and certainly was on that call – when he essentially said, "I'm not talking about Koivu until I talk to Koivu," that one led me to believe that if Koivu plays in the coming year, it's not going to be here.
0: I'm I'm pretty sure we've seen uh, Miko Koivu play his last game uh, as a member of the Wild. I, I don't see him coming back, and in fact, he's hinted that you know this this may be the time to to call it a career for him. Uh, you know, he'll be remembered as a good player, never a great player, but uh, be it, but honestly. You know, I didn't like him being named the captain when he was named the captain, but he turned out to be, I think, a pretty good captain, especially dealing with the media because he was that guy who understood what it meant to have the sea on his sweater. You know, he was the one that would stand there and answer the questions when his team laid an egg. He would be blunt and honest for the most part yep. and, and would be there in that role. So I liked him in the captain's role, as strange as it seems. You know, I joked at the time that, you know, Finn – Finnish People are generally very quiet, very shy, and you know you don't put a C on that guy. But but he really kind of rose to the occasion in that role for this team, I think. And and uh, uh, with all of that said, I I think that era is over. I think we've seen him play his last game. So
1: who who do you put the C on next season? Who gets I it think, from you?
0: I think you give it to Stahl. I, I really think Ooh. that he's that that veteran presence as much as you know. I've said for years that Zach Parise should have the C on his sweater because he's the de facto leader of the team. I think you send a message and, and you, you put the C on a, on a guy like Stahl who has been a, an on-ice leader and I think is a is a leader in the room as well.
1: Do you agree with me, Jess Myers? I, I think there's a good chance, and I don't, I don't know it's going to work because teams are going to be uh, so far up against the salary cap now, but I think there is a real chance that Bill Guerin takes another swing at trying to trade Zach. And I think Zach, if he could go to the right team and be on a third line with a, a cup-competitive team, would it accept it. I think that suits would say, no, I'm staying here. Um, but I'm not going to be surprised if at some point in time in the coming months, we hear at least rumblings that there are trade discussions involving Zach. Cause I do think that bill came so close to tr- uh, trading him at the deadline. And obviously that deal fell through that. Uh, that's one when bill talks about sort of changing things here. That's one that's not going to surprise me if he at least takes another attempt uh, to move Zach to a contending team,
0: absolutely. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think uh, you know there's going to have to have to be that conversation with Parisi and say, hey, you know, if if we can move you to some place where you can take another shot at the Cup, are you willing to do it? I think you know he was probably willing to do that at the trade. line. Zach, I'm talking about, was willing to be moved. Yep. And let me say this about about Parisi and Suter because I think about this every summer. Um, it's now been eight years since the the big splash since they came here. And the one thing I always think about, you know, I, I, I think on ice, they've both been great contributors when they've been healthy. I think they've probably done everything you can ask of them as players on the ice. But the one place I think, uh, you know, if and when this era of those two on the Minnesota Wild comes to an end, the one thing that sticks in my head, <clears throat> I was at that introductory press conference where, you know, the, the lobby of XL Energy yes. was packed and it was, you know, this new era in Minnesota sports. Um, and the one thing I remember hearing from Parisi after the, the formal press conference, just talking to him one-on-one, mm-hmm. he said, you know, this is not only about what we're going to do on the ice. This is about Ryan and I being recruiters, you know, making sure that the top three agents in the NHL know about Minnesota. They know about the fan base here. They know about what we're building here. And, you know, we have the connections essentially. He said, and I'm paraphrasing this, but he said, you know, with our friends around the NHL, we can go to them and say, hey, this is the place you want to play. Look at look at how the the passion for hockey here. Look at the arena here. Look at, you know, what we're building on the ice. It seemed to be this idea that you know, not only did the Wild get those two guys, but this was going to be the start of this pipeline coming to Minnesota of the top talent in the NHL, the top three agents out there saying this is a place I want to be. I want to be part of that fun. I want to be part of the sell-out crowds every night. That just never happened. It just never materialized. You know, when. Why when do you think, Jess? I, Why? I don't know. <laughs> that's. that's. It's a, that's great, a great point. Mystery. a great mystery. I'll be. I'll be frank and honest and say I don't know. You know, if it's a salary cap issue or if it was an idea where you know, if you come to Minnesota, you're you're coming to play for Zach Parise's team, you're never going to be the spotlight guy. You know, it's 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 one of those interesting things. And hockey players are weird that way. You know, I, I talked to a friend of mine who uh, works with a team in California, and uh, you know, let's face it, California is a beautiful place. It's an amazing place to live. You know, it's 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 sunny, and there are mountains, and there are the beaches, and there's the ocean, and all of that. It's just a great place to live. And I joked with my friend who is a, is a higher-up with one of the teams in California and said, how do you ever lose a free agent? You know, When you're right. trying to, to lure a guy to come to California or if a guy is on your team and is a free agent, how do you ever get a guy who says, no, I don't want to live there, I don't want to play there, I don't want to be in the sunshine and, and, and all of that? And he said, you lose free agents. If you're, if you're in a desirable market, you lose free agents for, for a couple of reasons. You lose them, number one, because they don't like the coach. <laughs> you know, and I don't know what the situation there, I, you know, I don't know if, if Mike Yo's style turns some guys off or if Bruce Boudreau's style turns some guys off where they wouldn't want to play for Minnesota. I don't know if that's the case, but that's one reason that guys don't, don't go to a place or don't stay at a place is because they don't like to coach. The other reason is you have guys that are third liners on a bad team, or uh, excuse me, there are third liners on a good team and a bad team that has free agent opening says, come play for us. We're going to make you. You know the top line center. We're going to make you the center of our power play. We're going to increase your role. You're you're buried in that system. Right. You know I haven't seen really either of those things happen in Minnesota. So I don't know. You know if if maybe the GMs we had in Chuck Fletcher uh, previously w- was just not aggressive. Um, if there was a, a the word on high from Leopold who said, "Hey, we've spent enough money. We can win with these guys. Don't spend a lot more." You know and. Granted, I wouldn't think revenue would be an issue for a franchise like this where, you know, you open the doors for the first 15 years of your franchise and you have a sellout overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be puzzled by that one for a long time, how that just never really materialized.
1: I'm, I'm going to give you quickly, uh, Jess Myers, three things of why I think it didn't and, and why, timing, why timing was, um, if not wrong, it was off, okay? Sure. One is, and I didn't think about this at the time, but what does every great team have? Every great team has a center who is just damn good, right? Right. Koivu at his best was good, but I don't think he was ever that guy. But I think right. they thought when Parisi and Suter joined this team, I thought, I think they thought to themselves Koivu is that guy. They were wrong about that. Okay? The other thing was Fletcher and the boys, and you know what? We a couple of the same thing too. How long did we all say just wait on Nino and Coyle and Granlund and that whole crew. And yep. and we got fooled uh, mightily by that by the upset of the Avs in seven games of the first round. And I think we all thought, okay, it's going to click now, and this group is going to, to be great. And, in fact, not only did they not prove to be great, but the locker room was sort of – this might be too strong – but in some ways it was disintegrating. It was not great. And, and so on and off the ice – I think issues developed that were not diagnosed in time. And then I'm going to give you my last theory about this. Mike Yo was not a bad coach, but he was the wrong hire at that time for that group. And I th- so I think if you put all, all of those three things together, Jess, in a wild hockey stew, what you get is a stew that tastes off, that never fulfills what you think it's going to, not because there's any one great mistake made, but because there's three, there's at least three things that don't occur that needed to occur to take uh, Zach and Ryan and lift them up to where I think we all thought on the day that they were uh, introduced, that they were going to get to
0: certainly by now. This is going back nine years, but I will defend the hiring of Mike Yo, as odd as it seemed at the time. Now, in college football, they say when you fire a coach, you always go out and hire the opposite, right? So when, when you get rid of Glenn Mason, who was the button-down, suit-and-tie-wearing guy and, and very calm, you went out and got the rah-rah guy in Tim Brewster. You you hired the opposite of what you had before. They had a young, potentially up-and-coming coach in Todd Richards. Yep. They fired him, and they went out and hired exactly the same thing in Mike Yo. Yes. But I liked the hire at the time because he had been with the minor league system. He had had success. And he knew all these young guys coming up. They had already played for him. So there was no adjustment to his style when they got to the wild level. You know, it worked for a while. They ran into that horrible stretch in February where they just couldn't win a hockey game. And, you know, it forced the wild's hand and they had to fire Yo. Mm-hmm. He went on to St. Louis. He did some pretty good things there for a little while, upset the wild in the playoff series, uh, you know, not, not so long ago in St. Louis. So I liked Mike Yo. I liked the hire at the time, as unorthodox as it seemed but i think you're onto something with your your three theories of what went wrong you know they always say in a plane crash it's never one big thing that causes the plane crash it's a bunch of little things that add up and i think you may be on the right track that you had just these little incremental things that didn't quite work and and that led to this not working but but you're absolutely right in the idea that you know in in 2013 and 2014 we thought we had this perfect mix of Veterans like Vanek and Parisi and Suter, and then the young guys, the Nino Niederreiter's and the Mikhail Granelins, who was taking a long time, but man, you could see that potential and what a great player he was going to be, and it just never really seemed to materialize like we had hoped. Jason Zucker beca- became a very good player, and you know, got them a top round draft pick when they traded him uh, just not too long ago, mm-hmm. but. You know, he was never going to be that team leader. He was never going to be that number one center that that you put uh, you put the C on and and led your team. And it's funny you mentioned Koivu in that in that regard because I remember before Suter and Parisi came to the Wild, I remember reading a piece. It might have been on ESPN.com where it ranked the 100 top players in the NHL, like like 100 through number one. I think number one was Sid Crosby at the time. I remember reading through it. And the Wild had one player on the list, one player in the top 100 in the NHL. It was Mikko Koivu, and I think he was ranked like 97th at the time. Wow. And I thought, you know, that was the reputation of the Wild as, as a franchise, was just, you know, a bunch of, you know, middle-of-the-road guys who were going to do what they were going to do. Parisian and Suter gave them what were considered superstars for the first time, but it just turned out that they couldn't do it alone. Great stuff, sir. Thank you. Always good to talk hockey, even if it's a a rainy day in August. You too.
1: Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Take care, guys. And that concludes Judd's Hockey Show with Declan. That was uh, Jess Myers. Check out his stuff at the Rink Live and um, Forum News as well. We'll talk to you soon. Fast shoot score.
2: Your dog is more than just your bestie with the cutest face ever. Get to know them on a genetic level with Embark Vet